Okay, praise be to God. Thank the Lord for his goodness towards us. Wonderful. Praise God. It's good to see everyone. Um, for those who don't know me, my name's Ephraim. It's good to see you today. And um, I trust that the Lord has led you to be here in order that he might make himself known to you in greater and greater ways. Um, amen. Thank you, my brother. I thank the Lord because he's good and um, he's doing a good work among us. He's doing a good work among us. The Lord Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Amen. Amen. And so we know that fundamentally that means that we can't lose. (laughs) We can't lose. Because Jesus never fails. And so um, it's wonderful to wake up with that on your mind. Now, I must say, ah, too much. So, <laughs> last week I um, shared just some focus thoughts for us to consider by way of a, a half-year service, thinking about that in, in, in auto mechanic terms. For those drivers, you'll appreciate what I mean. Um, that point where you're going to have a checkup and review um, just your standing, where you're at. Normally, people do that with their vehicles or ought to. But um, the challenge is for us to be doing that as individuals in our walk with the Lord. Pastor Rob mentioned during the announcements, Ecclesia, the called out ones, separated by God, for God, for his glory. And um, this is the mandate, this is the call for every Christian that we would be a people for his glory. And um, as we reflect on just what our vision is as a church, which is to be a healthy church, equipped to disciple and faithful on mission, um, it it serves as a, a a helpful reference for us as we're going through life on a week to week, month to month basis, not just kind of going through in an aimless sense Um, spinning wheels until Jesus comes and then we all go to heaven, whoop-de-doo. The fact of the matter is, if heaven was our complete and utter purpose for relationship with God, then I'm sure that he would have taken us there the moment we surrendered our hearts to him. But he didn't. He left us here for a purpose. Have you ever asked yourself why? Why didn't God just take you to heaven when... You receive Christ. It would have been great, right? But there's a greater purpose that the Lord is working out. And as part of our our mandate as the people of God to come to understand and fulfill that purpose, um, we often have to just evaluate where we're at. Now, we considered last week the verses from Hebrews 5, 11 to 14, that talked about the fact that even though 
the writer had much to say. He said it's hard to explain because the people had become dull of hearing. They were hard ears, as my grand used to say. Hard of hearing. To the extent that even though at that time when they should have been teachers, they were needing someone to teach them again the basic principles of the oracles of God. So not only were they hard to teach because they were hard of hearing, but actually what they had understood was such that they needed to be taught that again. As the saying goes, use it or lose it. There was a lack of maturity amongst the people of God. See, it's one thing to be a Christian, sealed, saved, and delivered, going to heaven. It's another thing to consider as to whether or not you're mature. Are you a mature Christian? Are you someone who is able to teach the basic principles or do you yourself need to be taught them again? Now, we live in a time where the basic principles are being trampled on, they're being distorted, they're being twisted and we live in a time of church history and if you know anything about church history, you will realize this, this past up to 100 years even, not even 100 years, you could even say 70 years of church history has been quite different to the generations before, going all the way back to the apostles, where we see in a general sense, especially the church in the West, a much diluted form of Christianity, a much diluted gospel a much diluted Christian life. Now, it's not because all of a sudden, you know, all kinds of errors and heresies have been introduced into, you know, into existence, into the world, and the church is encountering these challenges in, in ways that they never had before. There were heresies from the beginning. You read it in the Bible. First John, they went out from among us because they were not of us etc., etc. So heresies and errors are nothing new. But one thing we do see is that in my view, and you can debate me at community group if you want, but in my view, we are seeing a much weaker, a much more anemic, anemic church in contrast to the church that has gone before us in ages past. And I feel that there's a certain extent to which, as a generalization, this kind of hard of hearing condition is, is, is quite contagious. It's affected great... Um, it, waves and, and areas of the church in ways that means that the gospel 
of Jesus Christ is not as distinct as it once was. Very broad generalizations. So having said that, it's necessary that there are certain points where we just revisit the basics. We re revisit the foundation because it's really important for us as leaders not to assume that people understand. It's important for us not to assume that people have a grasp. People might have got the gist, <laughs> but you know that the gist isn't enough. Imagine you're standing in the operating theater with a scalpel in your hand. Do you know what you're doing? Well, I got the gist of it. <laughs> no one's going to have any degree of confidence. They'll just call off the operation. That's the person on the table. They will get up and run. <laughs> And so it's important that if we're going to be effective in fulfilling our mandate and being a, a healthy church and being a people who are faithfully glorifying God, it's important that we have a grasp of the basics. Now, there's, 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 for me, I, you know when you get into something, right? <coughs> and you're just like, Bertram's laughing. You get into something and you think, cool, it's just going to be like, we'll do this and we'll do that. And then it, that's taken care of and sometimes sometimes I'm a driver right and, and I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a realistic optimist Let's work that one out I'm a really realistic optimist yeah so sometimes I see parking spaces and I'm like hmm I drive up alongside it I measure it up I'm like hmm yeah I can do that start parking and before I know it it's a it's this isn't what I really thought it was and I've made a hundred turns. <laughs> this is one of those moments. So, by God's grace, I want to kind of just take a little bit of time. And it might be two, or it could be three. Famous last words. No, 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 no. But it's important for us to revisit the basics. Now, I'm going to read these verses. And they serve as a backdrop for where we're going to go today. Hebrews 6, verses 1 to 3. These are the verses following the ones we looked at last week. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would help us to be established in the fundamentals. And even as we revisit it now, that we wouldn't be a people who are hard of hearing, apathetic and indifferent, I've heard it all before, but that we would be considerate, especially knowing that your expectation is that we are able to communicate this to others. 
So that we wouldn't sit down and just think selfishly, well, I know this, but that we would more so think, how can I help others to know this with clarity? And so we commit our time to you and I commit myself to you. In Jesus' name, amen. In these verses, we see six principles that are the Hebrew writers, uh, the writer of Hebrews, let me put it that way, um, it's their summary of the gospel, broken down into six principles. Um, it's a summary, so it doesn't articulate all the detail, but it gives basic steps. Repentance from dead works, faith towards God, instructions about washings, or more commonly we would use the term baptisms. Notice that's plural, we'll come back to that. The laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so here, the writer is giving a summation of the gospel much in the same way that the Apostle Paul does differently in 1 Corinthians 15. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance to the scriptures. So we see the Apostle Paul articulate this in the context of reminding the Corinthians about the gospel. He said, I'm taking opportunity in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 15 to remind you we need to be reminded. There was a song um, a, a couple years back, um, and it was called We Need It Daily. And it was just basically talking about the fact that we, even as Christians, need the gospel daily. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. Now, you might think, okay. But the, the Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews, he said that we shouldn't be going back to lay that foundation again. So we should be moving on to bigger things. Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ, the basics of Christ, and go on to maturity. So why would we, in the light of that, need the gospel daily? He's not saying... You know what? There's other revelations out there that are greater than Christ. And once you've got the basics, then you just pursue those other revelations. You can graduate from Jesus. Now, how do we know that the writer's not saying this? Because in the book of Hebrews, Jesus is mentioned on every single page. So this is chapter 6. Every chapter beforehand and every chapter following, he's still talking about Jesus. So talking about going on 
and leaving behind the elementary doctrine, doctrine of Christ is not talking about seeking heavier revelation. Some heavy revies. Some, some, some great insights. Or some deep philosophies. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about understanding Jesus more fully and more deeply. And what he actually does, he basically spends his time illuminating the Old Testament and, and showing how Jesus is basically evident in the Old Testament and how the Old Testament points to Christ. And a lot of us, we need that in our life because we wouldn't know where to start. If I was to ask you, look, there's no New Testament. You're sitting on the train. You're traveling to Heathrow. It's a 45-minute journey. And you're sitting next to a, a, a Jewish individual who says, please, tell me about your Messiah from my scriptures, meaning the Old Testament. Would you know where to start? Tell me about your Jesus from the Old Testament. Would you know what to say? Would you know how to explain what is elementary? Dear Watson, as Sherlock Holmes would say, from the Old Testament. Now, hopefully your brain's kind of turning over. You're beginning to think, hmm, where would I start? Some of you thinking about Isaiah 53. Yeah, that's what, that's what Philip, Philip was, was sharing with the eunuch in, in Acts from Isaiah 53. And yeah, or maybe Psalms 22. Or Genesis 22, Abraham. And okay, some of you are thinking, yeah, that sounds good to me. <laughs> But the reality is that some of us would struggle to share the gospel from the New Testament if we're honest. Amen. Amen? Thank you, brother. It's true. But that's why the church is meant to be a gospel training center. Where we, where we come and we're equipped and we're able to share the gospel. Now, this is a life or death matter. This is a matter of life and death. And it's not just life and death. It's eternal life and eternal death. Consider these questions. Two of a few. If you were to die, why would God let you into heaven? Now, I want you to formulate an answer. I want you to respond to that. Not out loud, but I want you to respond to that in your mind. If you were to die, why would God let you into heaven? Or, why should God forgive you? I remember being at Carnival one year. And I was speaking to a guy after everything had finished and it was late and we were packing down and he'd been there for a long time and we got into a great conversation. And I said to him, you know, um, why, if you were to die, why, why would God let you into heaven? And he said, oh, you know, because he's forgiven. And um, I said, okay, so then why should God forgive you? And he kind of stopped. And he was like, um, hmm. He said, 
Because God is love? I was like, it's true, but is there any reason for him to forgive you? I said, what if your dad was a judge, a high court judge, and you'd committed a crime, and you were now standing before your dad, the judge, in his court? Probably unlikely to happen, not a realistic scenario, because they probably wouldn't have family being judged by, you know, by family and a member of the bench. But imagine you're in that situation and evidently your dad loves you. But would he be a good, proper, faithful judge if he were to let you off your crime that you had so evidently done? Even though he loves you. And he was stuck. Why should God forgive you? Why would God let you into heaven? Now, if your answer in your mind had I anywhere in the answer, as in I referring to yourself, your answer was wrong. Thankfully, today it's not a pass or fail test. Thankfully, your salvation doesn't hang on your understanding. It is by faith. All right? Because I don't want you to start feeling nervous like, boy, I don't even understand the gospel. Am I even saved? Am I even going to heaven? For we are saved by grace through faith. A childlike faith. So you put your trust in Jesus. Okay. You may not be able to articulate that well, but that's what we're trying to get to because we need to be able to tell other people faithfully and accurately. And so I say, if your response was, as somebody once said to me, you know, because I love God. I was like, let me help you understand a little bit more clearly why that's not really a substantial answer. Oh, because I believe in Jesus. Hmm, that's good, but that's not the beginning. That's not where you start. And so if I factors in any of the responses... That's not really helpful or healthy. Now, this all pertains to the gospel, the truth of the gospel. And we're going to break it down, but listen to this first. The Apostle Paul said this to the Galatians. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He said, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Like I said, this was happening in the pages of scripture and it's happening today on mass. And so we're in a fight, we're in a war. And we can't live in a war zone with a vacation mentality. We can't be in our Bermuda shorts and bikini and, you know, little surfboard underhand, walking through the trenches on the front, front line of a war zone. Listen to what Jude said. Beloved. Although I was very eager to write to you 
about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you, appealing to you to contend for the faith. Some translations say contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Are you in a place where you feel like you have the spiritual strength? The strength of mind to be able to contend for the faith? When you're at lunch break at work, when you're sitting with your your colleagues in class, reviewing those lecture notes and something comes up, when you're casually chatting over lunch or when you're responding to a news item. This is what you are called to. Contend for the faith. This is what I am called to. This is what we are all called to as Christians. And so we need to know what is the gospel. (laughs) What is the gospel? As we saw before, the Apostle Paul gives a summary. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. This is a a summary of the gospel. It's interesting because the term gospel isn't originally a Christian term. It isn't originally a, a religious term. It was a term that was used by armies as they sent their heralds back from the front line having won the victory as a carrier of the good news of victory over the enemy. So it wasn't originally exclusively a Christian term, but it was a term suited to God's purposes as it relates to communicating the mission and victory of Christ. And so this is why the gospel, the term gospel in and of itself, and I think um, Mikey P., um, shared this with us. No, no, it was Byron actually shared this with us um, during the summer. He said it means good news, but not just any good news. You can have all kinds of good news. And often we're ready and quick to share good news. Our team won at the weekend. Especially if you're Arsenal, that's good news, right? (laughs) But the reality is, we're talking about the good news of Christ. All right, this is a question that you can shout out and answer to. As Pastor Rob took us through the Old Testament overview, it's important we connect the dots, right? As Pastor Rob took us through the Old Testament overview, he said that the story of Scripture speaks of Christ. All Scripture speaks of Christ. It's one overarching story made up of little stories. 
all speaking of Jesus. And that story can be summed up in four words. What were those four words? Creation. Fall. Let me hear someone from over the back there. You know, the back, the back benches that, that feel like they're just... If evermore, why is everybody in darkness down there? Let's, amen. Let there be light. Thank you, bro. Anyone from the... So we've had creation, we've had fall. Redemption. Thank you very much. And the last one. Recreation. Who said that? Now you see, I'm, I'm, I'm actually paying attention to who's saying it. Because I know the people who have been taught this. And those who... <laughs> so I really tried to see if there was anyone who was listening when Pastor Rob was talking. So... It can be summarized, creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. And often when we're talking about the gospel, our focus tends to be on the fall and redemption. The fall, Genesis chapter 3, man disobeyed God, the first people, um, under the influence of Satan, and at that point, sin entered into the world. Redemption. The coming of Christ. As we saw explained in those verses of 1 Corinthians 15. But there's more to the story than that. So how well could you communicate the whole story? How well could you communicate the whole story? And the significance of the whole story. Creation. I use the term rebellion. And I'll explain a little more why in a moment. Redemption. New creation. Now, I once heard this story. And um, the person didn't qualify it as being true or not. I don't know. But there was once a, a, an old man who was looking after a, a, a younger guy and kind of took him under his wing to kind of mentor him. And they were out in a rowing boat on, on the lake. And it was, it was twilight, sunset, and the stars were just beginning to come out. And they were sitting there on this lovely summer's evening, um, turning night. And they were there in the boat and, you know, the old man was to the young, younger man. Um, young man, do you know anything about geography? And the young man was, not much. Just about find my way around. And he says, you know, you don't know about the um, altitude of the mountains and, and the, the plains and you don't know about ecology. Do you know anything about ecology? And he's like, no, not really. And he said, you don't know about ecology and, and how the ecosystem works and food chains and weather systems and so on. And he's like, no, not really, you know. And he said, what do you know about biology? The human body. 
so complex and wonderful in its design. It's tremendous. And he said, I, I know that I have one, but much more than that, I couldn't tell you really, to be honest. He said, hmm, young man, you don't really know much about much, do you? He stood up, he said, look at this glorious skyscape before us. Do you know anything about cosmology? And the young man felt reluctant to answer at this point. I mean, <laughs> cosmology, the stars. Mm. Well, I mean, what do you reckon? And just look at these, these wonderful stars. And if you look over yonder, you see Orion and his belt. And as he's leaning and gesticulating, he falls into the water. <laughs> <laughs> Struggling. <laughs> Young man looks at him. Sir, you know about ecology. This time he's drowning, you know. He's struggling. <laughs> and geography and biology. You even know about cosmology. But do you know how to swim? <laughs> You're not waiting for the punchline, innit? Like, what happened to him? I don't know what happened to him. <laughs> but he just didn't know the most important thing how to be saved. <laughs> and so, as we look at this, may we be inspired to give our attention closely. So we see this is the story. Now, what I want to do is I just want to run through some implications because we see, as people of the book, we appreciate these concepts to a certain extent. So in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. There's no debate at the beginning of the story. In the beginning, God. God existed before all things did. And he made all things that exist. Man rebelled against God. In this we see some implications. Really important implications as it relates to the gospel. God being the creator has ownership of all things. The psalmist said, it is he who has made us and not we ourselves. God has creative ownership. He has the authority of authorship. Life has been authored by his design and according to his purpose. We understand the basic principle. If you come across something that you don't understand, the ideal scenario is to look to the maker. I mean, we just look to YouTube nowadays, but we trust that the person on YouTube is going to convey something of what the, the, the creator, the manufacturer, had described as the way in which things work. So God is the owner of all. It doesn't matter what 
country a person comes from. It doesn't matter what belief they have grown up under. Sometimes we might feel quite reluctant to share the gospel with someone because, you know, they have another, an, an, another religion or they, they, they follow a different creed or a different philosophy. Um, culturally, they come from a different background. And, you know, you even hear people say, oh, you know, each to their own. You shouldn't be sharing your message with them. They have theirs. God owns everyone. And I might not push my view on them, but I ought to be willing to enter into a dialogue with them. Because there's only one truth, there's only one God. There can only be one God by definition. This notion of there being multitudes of gods is self-contradicting. Because by definition, God is almighty. He is supreme over all. And this is why God says, I am the Lord your God. You will have no other gods before or beside me. I will share my glory with no other. And so if I have a view of God that is different to other people's views of God, even if they have a view of God, let's talk about it. Let's reason. We appreciate that every individual, every human has been made in the image of God and is made, has been made to represent his image. Represent his image. To portray his image. And yet the problem with that, despite the fact that it gives every individual inherent value and distinction, even above that of the animals, we are more than just evolved animals. We are made in the image of God, made with the ability, the capacity to have relationship with God, which animals don't have. Nonetheless, there was a problem. Now, man rebelled against God when you, you the, the reason I use the term rebellion, right? If you think about what it means to fall, when you think about what it means to fall, what kind of um, situation does that put across to you? How might that have come about? An accident. So a man fell. We, you know, people don't plan to fall over. Oh, it was an accident. But it wasn't an accident. This is where people often get the notion, even amongst Christians, ah, you know, we're all sinners. We all make mistakes. In fact, Pastor Rob and I used to have a song that had that in the chorus. Oh, make mistakes. Why not turn round and take God's grace? Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a catchy hook, right? It's a catchy hook, but it was theologically flawed. That was one of our first songs, by the way, just, just so you know, <laughs> when the lights were dim. <laughs> this notion we all make mistakes, but we don't just make mistakes. Romans 3 tells us that there is none good. No one seeks after God. If it were not for God's intervention, wooing us, drawing us, 
We wouldn't want to know God because our nature by, by, by default is one of rebellion. We are inclined towards ourselves. This past year, the principal of the Bible college that um, some of us studied at, his name was Mike Ovey, he, he went to be with the Lord. And he used to have this phrase that was quite striking when I heard it. He said, humanity is curved in on itself. People are curved in on themselves. And so you've kind of got this sense of people just being self-absorbed, self-focused. That's who we are by nature. We're not God-exalting, God-worshipping. And so it was an act of defiance. It was an act of rebellion. And every time a person sins, fundamentally, that's what it comes down to. Now, it might not be with great vehemence and conviction and, you know, sticking two fingers up at God. It doesn't necessarily have to be that. But fundamentally, for us to put ourselves before the Almighty is an act of defiance and rebellion. And so this is where we see the scripture use terms that those we were once dead in our trespasses and sins, we were enemies of God. He who is a friend of the world is an enemy of God, is, is in a place of hostility toward God. These are strong terms. And so through the act of rebellion, sin came into the world, both personal and environmental. And the whole kind of environmental notion often gets overlooked and played down. We just had hurricanes. I mean, you had Hurricane, what was the H? Harvey? And then you had Irma. And then you had Jose. You know that they actually name hurricanes in alphabetical order. You know, H-I-J. And these hurricanes have, have torn up the Caribbean and parts of the US. We've, we've seen tsunamis in our life and times. You don't even have to look that far. You just have to look at the weeds in your garden. All evidence of sin in the environment as much as it is in the life of the person. And so these are important things for us to consider as we consider the totality of the gospel. Paul said Christ died for our sins. What happens when a person says sin? What sin? I, 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 I see, you know what? Each to their own, live and let live, as long as you're not hurting someone. We hear that all the time. People have a, a relative standard of morality. What works for you, what's true for you, is good for you, and what's true for me is good for me. And if we are at odds and we differ, then may the majority win. And so that's what we have now. Morality by popular opinion. Majority rule. 60 years ago, it was a criminal offense to be homosexual. Now it's not. And so within a generation we've seen an entire shift in the moral compass, not just of the nation, but at least of the West. 
That's, you know, there are some people, that's within their lifetime. Some of our elders have seen that shift in their lifetime. So if you're someone looking for truth and what's right and what's sure in life, that can be really unsettling. That can be really unnerving. What is right? What is wrong? Pontius Pilate stood before Jesus. What is truth? Redemption. The thing I would highlight about redemption, and we will spend more time on this um, in time to come. As it relates to Jesus and his saving work, often called his atoning work or his redemptive work, there is a, a right and proper emphasis of his death, burial, and resurrection. But we shouldn't emphasize that to the exclusion of his sinless life. Sometimes as Christians, we struggle in our walk, right? We wrestle with temptation. We struggle with sin. And as we do so, we can kind of find ourselves in a place where we're burdened down with condemnation and guilt. To the point where we feel like we need to, having been saved by Christ, maintain our salvation through our works. Maintain our acceptance by God through our works. I wonder if there's anyone who can just bear witness to what I'm saying. We've prayed 999,000 times. We'll never do it again. And yet we find ourselves back in that place. And we feel down. We feel depressed. We feel like God could never forgive me again. I want you to consider the sinless life of Christ. Not only was his death in your place, on your behalf, as your substitute, but so also was his life. He lived a sinless life in your place, in my place, on my behalf, on your behalf. He never sinned once. He had an absolute clean sheet. The significance of that, you go into an exam room and sit down to do the exam and you know you're going to fail. I mean, this is A-level maths. You don't know nothing about calculus. You don't know nothing about trigonometry. You, don't, you just know that this is a shot in the dark. You failed before you've even sat the paper. But you're there. Jesus sits down next to you. <laughs> he who knows all things. They're just like, oh, Lord. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll tell you what you do. Just write my name on your paper. I'll write your name on my paper. You're just like, Lord, if it wasn't you saying it, I would say that was wrong. 
The Lord knows what he's doing, right? He aces, aces the test. A star. You flop the test. Just as expected. Whose name is on your paper? Who failed? Oh, now you see? You see? You've actually passed, but you didn't pass. He passed on your behalf. You get the credit for his work. He took the punishment for your failure. Amen? And so in this, we understand and appreciate that even on our best days, our righteousness is as filthy rags before the Lord. And the only standing we have is the fact that Jesus' name is on top of our paper. That he passed flawlessly. A star or whatever it is nowadays. Ten. Like they've changed up the whole system. I don't know why. In fact, you know what? I do know why. Can I digress just for one moment? Because I think it's so wicked and bad. Absolutely. Listen. You've got all the people that are paying for their kids in public school, right? And you've got kids in state school getting the same grades. So they're like, we can't have that. We're paying all this money and they're getting the same grades. You know what? We'll change the system. We'll move the goalposts so that our kids can stay ahead. Because we can always pay to keep them in the front. We'll just pay more money and move them. But they don't know that the Lord is on the side of the oppressed. (laughs) And he's going to help the poor kids to get up as well. And then they'll be changing it again in another five years. Anyway, I digress. The fact of the matter is, the Lord lived the sinless life and it was credited to you as righteousness as you put faith. And so, that is our standing before God. It's his life, death, burial and resurrection. All relevant. Each one preceded by the one before. His life qualified his death. If he had sinned, his death wouldn't have made any difference to anyone. It's because he was without sin that his death was effectual in atoning for ours. It's because he was dead that he was actually buried. And as a result of the burial, his resurrection is all the more significant because the tomb is empty. Amen? Amen. Praise be to God. This is the gospel that we're unpacking. And so we look at these summary phrases in 1 Corinthians 15, Hebrews 6, and we have to see them like a suitcase. We have to see them like a suitcase. Um, Judith and I went away and they lost our case. And we was three days without our luggage. And you know, it's easy, Jet, right? So name them and shame them, I don't business. (laughs) Because you see how they work, right? They said, it's one piece of luggage between the two of you, or you pay extra. Because you think it's easy, you're trying to get these prices as cheap as possible. Yeah? No. One piece of luggage between two. Not even 23 kilos, 20 kilos, you know. And so both of us had our clothes and everything in there. And toiletries, because you know you can't put that in your hand, lug- hand luggage. Get to the other end, no case. Two days, no case. Three days, no case. Oh, if there was anything that would have mashed up the holiday, oh my gosh. 
The Lord was gracious to us. We got the case after three days. But not having it for that time, you know, it, it just caused me to appreciate just how um, taken for granted the contents of that suitcase really were. Just, ah, you know, da-da-da-da-da, until you don't have them. <laughs> the gospel's like a suitcase, packed full of content. And so we have to be prepared to unpack it. Amen? New creation. Let me end with this for now. Oh, before I do, I think that the other factor with regards to the gospel that is often overlooked, underestimated, or even misunderstood. Ephesians 2.8 For by you were saved through so the gospel is that of grace in that it is a gift given. Now, we, you know, we, 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 we use the terms, you know, we recognize that it's not by merit. It's, there's nothing that I've done to earn it and so on and so forth. But do we really understand what that means when it says that the gospel is a, a gracious gift, a gift granted by grace? You see, if somebody goes to work, they expect to get paid. It's interesting because um, even with maternity pay and so on, you know that when you go on maternity pay, especially you new parents and that, you go on maternity um, leave and you get maternity pay, and you know that only lasts for a certain time. Because then after that, they just give you the state, the statutory maternity pay, which is nothing like your salary. And even at that point, you feel hard done by it, but you can't argue. Because what can you say? You're not at work. You're not working. But the Lord says, you know what? You could leave this job. I'll keep paying you. Furthermore, I'll give you a bonus incrementally. That's how good I am. And you'd be like, why? I've done nothing to earn it. I don't deserve it. It's a gift. And it's really important because imagine you buy a gift for someone and you give it to them and they want to offer you money. How do you feel? You, feel, you, you almost feel like it, it's a, a lack of appreciation. Or, or it even cheapens the gift. Like, this is a gift from my heart. I want to show you how much I appreciate you. I want to show you how much you mean to me. This is a gift. I don't want your money. Some of you are like, yeah, I do want your money. None. But no, you're supposed to say, no, I don't want your money. It's a gift. No strings attached. This is the gracious gift of God. Now, new creation is the end of the story. And again, there's so much in that because it's, it's not just the reward of a, a great new life, but there's also retribution. There's also judgment. And even in our gospel presentations, 
How often do we miss out that aspect? Even when we're summarizing. And yet we see that at the consummation of the age, those who believe are ushered into everlasting perfection. We cannot comprehend that. That's beyond our comprehension. All of, all of that which you would most desire, if you think about your greatest experiences in life, the times when you've experienced most fulfillment, most joy, when, when you've just experienced elation and satisfaction in words that you can't describe. Heaven, the new creation, if you like, is infinitely beyond that. Everything is perfect. Some of us, we buy new technology. They're talking about this, these new iPhones that have come out. iPhone 8 and, and iPhone X 10. And, uh, yeah, Samsung Note 8. Whatever your, whatever your, your choice is, hold tight, Android. But you know what? You get the latest one. I know people got iPhone 7 when it came out. It's wonderful until. <laughs> like, why, why is there no headphone jack on this? How do I charge and listen to the, to, to the call at the same time? And I now have to buy another. And then you begin to see there's all kind of. And you're just like, okay. And that's, that's the selling point for the next model. And there's this carrot on the end of a stick where you're always kind of striving for the perfect, perfect handset. <laughs> and yet, imagine. <laughs> Someone said you're willing to pay a thousand pounds for iPhone, but you won't pay your tides. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. That won't be. Some of you want to know what are tides. <laughs> but the reality is that there will be no flaws whatsoever in eternity with God. There will be no, yeah, but if only. And, you know, the, the, one day I sat down and I began to consider and I was just like, imagine the greatest elation and sense of fulfillment and joy without end. And anything that we experience in this life that causes us to feel that way is obviously only momentary. But it also serves as a herald or a precursor for the abundant version of that experience that we will get when we get to be with the Lord. It's just a glimpse, as the old hymn writer used to say, it's a foretaste of glory divine. How tremendous that is. And in an era of delayed gratification, when people don't want to wait for nothing, just put it on credit. Buy now, pay later. No one's trying to wait. It's something worth waiting for. It's something to look forward to. It is something that makes all the difference when we stand in those worst moments of life. When we stand in the face of death, 
when we stand in the face of the depravity of this world, the brokenness of this world, it, it, makes all, it's a, it, it provides hope that is an anchor for the soul. Because this, this world will never deliver. C.S. Lewis said, one of my favorite quotes of his, it was made into a song by um, Brooke Fraser. Her name's changed now, Liggett Wood, I think it is. Um, it's called the C.S. Lewis song. When I find in myself desires that nothing in this world can satisfy, I can only conclude that I was made for more than this. When I find in myself desires that nothing in this world can satisfy, the desires are there. Why are they there? And there's nothing in this world to satisfy them. Well, I can only conclude that I was made for more than this. This is the truth of the gospel. And so, as we unpack the gospel and the implications thereof, may we be encouraged, may we be informed, may we be inspired, may we take note. And if we're not finding ourselves in a place where we're challenged to share this with others, then something's wrong. Let, let me just say it straight. Something is wrong. I'm not saying that you've got to be like Mikey P and Byron, you know, standing on the, on the, on the, the, the um, soapbox out in Lewisham or, you know, you've got to be the one on, on, on Instagram that's like flooding. I'm, I'm not saying that you've got to be that person, but there must be, there must be occasions and not once a year. Remember that time when uh, we went to evangelism and, boy, you know, it's really good, you know, and... <laughs> Yeah, back in those days. Back in those days. What do you mean back in those days? Is that how long it is since you shared the gospel with someone? There's something wrong if we're not sharing the gospel at some point in our week, month. I won't even say year. Something wrong. And we're missing out because I don't take back my talk. I really believe that evangelism is the great adventure of the Christian life. And if you feel like you're coasting, if you feel like you're drifting and you're, 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 the joy of your salvation has lost its sheen and you feel kind of bored, you know what? Something's wrong, not with your walk, not with the Lord, I should say, but maybe with your walk. Ephesians 6 talks about putting on the sh the, our shoes, our gospel shoes. And you put on shoes in order to make progress. And to, to go to places with purpose. And if you're having a lack of purpose and a lack of progress in your life, go back and check your gospel shoes. We need to be doing this. And praying that the Lord would give us opportunity. And as our brother Joel Turner said, boldness. Just to open our mouth. Because if we don't, nothing's going to come out.
So I'm going to encourage the team to um, come back. The Apostle Paul said this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Are you ashamed of the gospel? Are you given to sharing the gospel? Are you being strengthened in your ability to share the gospel? Church isn't a social club. It's the people of God gathered in his name. Being trained and equipped for mission. That's what it's all about. That's why we're here. To represent God. For his glory. Amen. Let's stand. Father, we thank you for your glorious gospel. We ask that you would continue to help us as we interact with your word in such a way to be equipped and strengthened. And Lord, I pray that you would just touch that person's heart who may be here and is hearing this message for the first time or appreciating it and understanding it differently from what they've heard before. I pray, Lord, that you would move upon their hearts and that, Lord, you would draw them to yourself, that you'd make yourself known to them through that which has been shared. And by your spirit, Lord, that you would energize them and motivate them to come to you wholeheartedly. We thank you, Lord, for you are good. Your word is true. Amen. And you've said it goes out. It's not dysfunctional. It fulfills what it's sent to do. Your word is life. More life to those who receive it. It's abundant life. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.